Money, a podcast network that understands the assignment. The Alive Podcast Network has launched the world's first content distribution app tailored by and for podcasters and listeners of color. Subscribers will enjoy a wide variety of shows ranging from spiritual to comedic to inspirational. Podcasters can house their content and merch in one spot and monetize from a central location. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com coming soon to iOS and Android. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. You can thank me later. You're listening to Deeply Rooted with Dr. Kratisa, where we encourage you not only to just wash your hair on wash day, but check your soul. Living in America with natural hair is a unique experience. We should be discussing it and giving witness to our own vulnerable and sometimes hilarious stories, hair stories that encompass much more than just how we style it. Everyone's hair journey is different. Everyone's hair is different. This is a safe space for Black voices. On today's episode, I interview Sherlene Carvey, a mother of two, entrepreneur, mentor, and creator of Luscious Kids. She created the natural hair care line formulated for children within six months during COVID. But today, Sherlyn and I are going to discuss high-functioning depression, postpartum depression, and managing those hair changes throughout that. So please join me in welcoming Sherlyn Carby to the show. Hello, Sherlyn. Welcome to Deeply Rooted with Dr. Kratisa. I'm so grateful for you to be here with us so much today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So... I always like to jump right all the way in. What do you remember even about early wash days or early days where you, you know, somebody was caring for your hair? So what I remember most is just kind of going through the agony of my my hair being detangled a lot. And I remember um, even when my mom was doing my hair, she didn't really understand natural hair. And I'm sure even at that time, the education on natural hair and how to care for it was available. So with my mom, we'd, she'll lay me on the sink. I'd have my head back and she'd wash my hair and then she'd put grease on it, make make it blow dry it out, put grease on it. And then she'd use the pressing comb. So that's how I remember my original wash days growing up the pressing, pressing comb, um, the blow dryer, finding ways to make my hair straight, so to speak. Now, what did you call like ballies and barrettes? Because I'm curious. <laughs> Everybody has different ways of calling. You call them uh, bobos? Call them barrettes, yes. <clears throat> Can you tell me who was the person that did your hair? Who, What caregiver did your hair? So my mom. Growing up, it was my mom. Um, I'm the only girl in the household with my mom. So for the most part, it was really her. I don't have any recollection of me doing my hair until I was probably in junior high school. Um, There were some times where, you know, if I wanted a specific style, she'd send me to the salon. And that was cool because I'd get my French roll, my finger waves. And obviously that wasn't anything my mom could do. So those were the type of styles that I was getting done when I was going to the salon, like the big, the big um, fancy styles. Nice. Okay. So actual, so did you um, ever have like um, any other cousins in your family or I mean, any other women in your family? You said yeah, it was mostly, I, okay. 
And they were actually good at doing hair too as well. So in between, because obviously, you know, with natural hair, it needs to be styled in a certain way where it can stay without the frizz, without getting messy. Mm -hmm. So I did have my hair in cornrows. My cousins were real good at doing cornrows. So I used to wear my hair in cornrows. Yes. Yeah. My mom used to braid as well. And I would, I would read to them while they sat there and got their hair braided. My mom was like, you can put away your golden books. I'm like, uh, I have reading, I have words to practice, mom. <laughs> we have an audience. <laughs> Not the golden books. I remember that. Yes. <laughs> Um, um, when did you begin to do your own hair? I began to do my own hair, probably junior high school. Um, that was around a time where, um, you start recognizing other people and how they dress and how they wear their hair and what you like, what you don't like, and what would you rock yourself? Mm -hmm. So honestly, I probably would just do my hair in a ponytail a lot with the gel, slick it down, make sure it looked neat. But it was definitely junior high school, making sure that I'm put together because I'm going with the older crowd now. This is not mm -hmm. elementary no more. So definitely junior high school. Did you have a specific hairstyle that you liked more than others? Okay, so I don't know if you remember, but there was a hairstyle where you make the part in the middle and then you gel the front down and then you put the hair behind your back and then your hair is down like a bob. Mm. Gel that's come down right across my um the, the front of my head. That was my favorite, <laughs> my, my part in the middle, real sharp. Sharp middle part. Yeah. I and love I it that I actually saw that um, recently. Um, and I was just like blown away. I was like, well, I really rock that style, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you said you have a picture? I did. I saw a picture at my mom's house uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yes. I'm going to need you. I'm going to need you to um, to get that to me so that when we're promoting <laughs> you know what? this episode, we can share that. You can laugh at it. No problem. <laughs> so Listen, if you share yours, I'll share mine. <laughs> So do you, um, do you recall ever having any times where you were with other peers and you were either doing hair or talking about hair or trying to navigate it when you were younger? When I, you know what, growing up, there was, there was a period of time where I lived with my dad and it was me, my dad, and my younger brother. So I was the only female. So definitely I was the person that had to do my own hair. But I do remember having some peers in the area, the neighborhood that I hung around with and their hair texture was different. So I do recall trying to, you know, see how I can get my hair look like theirs, see if they can help me. I found myself reaching out to people that I knew at that time to kind of, you know, help me figure out some styles. Because honestly, then I didn't know hair types. I knew that your hair was different, but I didn't know your curl pattern. I didn't, I didn't know that stuff back then, you know? So um, I definitely found, reached out to a couple of people that I, my peers at that age, who were doing their own hair as well too, and, you know, see if I could rock it. When you were thinking about the texture of your hair and what it would look like, what did you imagine and was it what it turned out to be? No, it wasn't what I turned it turned out to be because I realized that even with the intense 
blow drying and um, the pressing comb, the only way for me to get what I really wanted, honestly, was a perm. And I mean, that, that's what it ended up being. And um, I ended up getting perm. Yes. What age were you when you got your first perm? Maybe 11, 11 or 12, around that. I I saw so many of my peers with their permed hair and my my hair was sweating out and, you know, I couldn't run for long before it was puffed out and not in place. And I felt the way I did, you know, and I was like, you know, everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Why can't I? And 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 my mom was like, you know, you're a little too young. And then she just kind of gave in and was like, all right. So <laughs> I always just dis- I always describe that as like almost a rite of passage. Like your mom is like, okay. Or if you have a young if you have a young girl who has very like long curly hair, it's like, okay, we will press your hair out when you are like. 11 okay like it's usually the kid is coming like please mom please let me like straighten my hair or like I want to see it when it's long and straight and fluffy and uh I have like visions of uh memories of watching uh Kimora Simmons and her girls <laughs> and I think eight years old was like the magic number she was like you're killing me you're, ch- you're killing me children I can't handle this I noticed that you um let's talk a little bit about your own experience um, with little ones and hair. Tell me how you started Luscious Kids. So Luscious Kids pretty much was a solution to a problem I was having. Um, It came into existence because my daughter, she had scalp irritation. She developed scalp psoriasis and eczema and she started having hair loss. And in addition to that, it was around a time when I was having postpartum too. So, so me and her are kind of going through like the same thing, but not so the same thing. I didn't have the scalp irritation, but I did have the hair loss. My hair was falling out and I was balding. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to um, figure out how I'm going to grow my hair back, fix my hair. And I ended up using the same products with her. And I'm like, this is not working. You know, like these products, what are these ingredients? They're not, they're not safe. They're not healthy. Um, and I'm, you know, walking up and down the aisles and I'm like, there's an oversaturation of natural hair care. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But when you narrow it down to children hair care, they'll have like one shelf and it'll be like so small mm-hmm. and the options are very minimal. And the only options that you have most likely have a parent company on a top shelf. Right. Yeah. So I said to myself, I said, you know what, let me research, let me research which botanicals mm. I can um, I can find and use because I knew about immersing, uh, infusing, so to speak, infusing plants within oils that will draw the nutrients out. So I decided to just research it and I found out rosemary, thyme, curry leaf, all of this stuff that is accessible to us. You can get vitamins and, and nutrients and they regrow hair follicles. And I'm like, wait a minute, my mom and my and my, my dad, they have a garden at the side of the house. So what I did was I immersed it and I put it in a mason jar and I let it sit for one month. And the whole idea was to let it stay for as long as possible. And then after four, four weeks, strain it, strain, strain all of the um, 
ingredients and let the oil remain. And then I bottled it up and then I used it for myself, my daughter. I had a ton of oil. I gave it out to friends and family and the accelerated growth that came from my daughter's hair and my hair in a matter of two, three months. And I was like, why stop here? Mm -hmm. I, and even then, even then, while I was doing the oil, it didn't come to me that this could be a business because my my mind wasn't make it a business, get money. My mind was find a solution, grow back her hair healthy mm-hmm. and do that. And amazingly, it turned into like, oh, I had an epiphany. And now it was time to like, okay, create the whole line. I said, why stop here? Why stop at the oil? So I did a shampoo, conditioner, and I have an entire line. And now we have 10 products. So that was the start of Luscious Kids, my daughter, Skylar. Awesome. I love that. Tell me about the most difficult time of of your life with your hair. And that may have been regarding um, uh, when you were Yes, it was rough. It was rough because I've always I've always been one who had um, not super long hair, but quite long hair, you know, and I've never had shortcuts, rarely. And I think when I lost my hair, there was a lot of insecurity there. And I tried for the longest to keep keep it going. The entire middle of my head was bald, but the remainder of my hair was still there. Mm-hmm. And I would still wear my hair up. And my mom is like, what are you holding on to? Like, there's nothing there. Chop it off. And I was like, you know, I don't want to. But it was like, you have to. And I just, I did a complete chop as low as a Caesar cut. It had to, because that's how bad it was. And um, what while it was happening, it was just so hard for me. And it was really mental. It was all mental because for me, um, uh, my... I believe that there's power in your hair. And then when it's cut off, like Samson, right? In the Bible, like when it's cut off, you feel like, oh my gosh, it's different. You don't have your power, whatever. But it was something that I had to get adjusted to. And I realized the hair doesn't make you, you make the hairstyle. Mm -hmm. And once I came into that, I realized that um, I loved it. I realized that I loved it. I embraced it. I rocked it. And it wasn't even about the compliments. It wasn't about what people said that built my confidence. I d- I had to do that for myself because I saw that how that affected other areas of my life. So that specifically was the time. And I was also going through a transition during that time of moving and relocating and just things with life happening at that time. So it was a lot to take on. Yes. Mm-hmm. What was the condition that you had that resulted that, that resulted in the hair loss in particular? Postpartum stress. Stress. Postpartum stress. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. So stressful. So stress-induced hair shedding. Yeah. And it just wouldn't stop. It wouldn't stop. Yeah. What does uh, depression feel like when you're trying to also take care of your hair? It's so tough to me because I feel like um, because we live in a society that's like a microwave society, we want instant results. Mm -hmm. Um, The waiting was very tough, you know, so um, for me, I almost felt like I had to disguise myself to remedy how I was feeling and what I was dealing with because, okay, I might not have um, something going great in one area. So now I have to deal with my hair. So that adds on a a whole nother element. But um, doing my hair and being depressed, it it, it wasn't uh, an exciting moment. 
it really wasn't. It, it was more like a chore. It wasn't like, you know, I'm in the mirror and I'm fixing myself. Mm -hmm. No, it was more like a chore. It's something I have to do, get, get through the day and keep it moving. Yeah. And so much energy goes, like if you are not wanting to do your hair, so much resentment and energy goes into being like, like wringing your fist at your hair. Like I'm mad I have to even do this. Yes. Um, and that relationship, I'm curious and wondering like what that does and what you think of yourself and your hair after years of thinking in that way or, you know, feeling that way. I know for me, it's like, like an Oldsmobile, like I have to get revved up to, mm. to get going and stuff like that. But once I'm, once I'm going, I'm good. Right. Yeah. But ultimately for me, it's just, um, if it has to get done, just get it done. Um, I don't, I try it as much as possible to avoid getting to a soaking, um, deep, deep depression where I just don't fix myself up at all. My yeah. hair, my hygiene, you know, I know that there's some cases where it can get that bad for people, yes. but I don't allow it to get to that point, you know? So what I've learned to do is even though it feels like a chore, even though, you know, it takes that extra energy to do, fix yourself up, right? Mm -hmm. Fixing yourself up maybe will lead to you feeling better, right? Yeah. Um, feeling happy, even if it's just temporary moment, you know? Um, I think that's the thing with beauty. Um, when, when you enhance it, it does something to the confidence, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're feeling confident, you're more confident and a little less depressed. At, at least that's what I would think. Yes. Very much so. Thank you for sharing that vulnerable piece. It's not easy to talk about that. What were the things that improved your mood and made you feel better? How did you get out of your postpartum depression? In all transparency, the most high God. Um, my spiritual connection for me. Um, there is a part of self that needs to disconnect from society and um, connect with your higher power for me, the most high God. And it's not like it's an out of body, body experience, but when you get to a place when you can literally separate problem from existence and just who you are um, and, and, and imagine it as you're looking from the outside in on your own life, You'll, you'll change perspective. And I think that's what that does. My spiritual connection allows me to change perspective of my reality. And um, that is what took me through out of the period because don't get me wrong, every day I had my moments, you know, and those moments, it almost comes like the wind. You don't see it. You'll be fine. You'll be walking in the supermarket, pulling stuff off the aisle and all of a sudden like, you hear a song or you see somebody and tears just start falling, you know? And I dealt with that, like just random. And it went on for a long time, but I knew staying connected, staying connected, knowing how to disconnect. Even if it felt like I was getting right back into it, you do it consistent and it become a habit. You start seeing yourself getting your breakthrough. And that's what happened to me, my spiritual connection. Yeah. That is awesome. I do. I am one that does believe that at some point in your life, you do have to disconnect and you have to develop that voice within yourself and whoever or whatever that voice, wherever you get that from, um, from deeper within or from your higher power, wherever um, it's meaningful, very, very meaningful. Absolutely. Absolutely.
And when you can center yourself in yourself, you can be anywhere and be fine. And you can be anywhere and be at peace. Yes. Yes, absolutely. When you are feeling down, um, either about your hair or about yourself, what do you do to make yourself feel better or to deal with that? So for me, I try to remedy the the problem. So that means that I go get my hair done or I dress up and do something. For me, I have to put on something, mm. right? It's like I have to cover and mask it, which means either getting your hair done, going shopping, getting something brand new to put on or whatever. That is what works for me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Good. I'm always open to any ideas on how people can kind of connect and connect with themselves, cope, and everybody does it in different ways. I need to be Mm -hmm. around my friends and like socialize and kiki and talk and sit. Like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit and talk crap with my friends. (laughs) That's really But but that's good because some people, they become introverted, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want to spread their energy by going around people. They want to be alone. And, And that's the thing. They always say, whenever you feel like that, don't be alone, right? Mm-hmm. Be around people. So what you're doing is great. Me, on the other hand, I do the opposite. I'll just kind of be be in um be in my funk for a little bit and let it pass on by, and then I'm good. Mm-hmm. Listen, yeah. the funk will be there. Trust and believe. <laughs> it will. I give myself based on what the situation is. I always give myself enough time to grieve. And if I wake up weeks later and I'm like, girl, you have, this has been a long time. I'll be like, okay, how long have you been grieving? How long have you been sitting down on this bench? It's time to get back up. You ready? How much time you need? I need two more weeks of complaining. All right. You got two more weeks, but after that, we going, (laughs) we going somewhere else. It's a whole process. It really is a whole process. But when you dig down deep enough to, to tell yourself, um, that you're going to fight, even if it's just a little fight, you'll, you'll get there. You'll get there. You know, for some people who don't battle with depression, don't battle with, with that. I think for them, it's easy on the outside looking in like, Oh, it's just easy. Like you'll be okay. You'll be okay. And it's like, it's really not that simple. It isn't. We wish it could be, but most cases it's not, it's not, there's it's layers to this thing. Layers. Mm. I am always trying to get people to understand context, nuance, layers, especially for Black people. We have so many layers and we are just starting to pull them back. So I can't wait to see what we find. I can't wait for us to start at hair and see where we end up. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Tell me what it was like for you to introduce yourself to the world after your natural hair transition or after your postpartum moments. When you say introduce myself to the world, not uh, in the sense of luscious kids, right? Just, just period. Um, just period. Yes, just your hair, you and yourself, your being. Okay. So when I got my my cut, when I got the Caesar cut, that was August of 2020. So okay. it was not that long ago. It was August of 2020. I was going through my transition. I got the Caesar cut, and for a good two months, up until about October. September, October, um, I hid. Like I wasn't out and about. We were still on lockdown. So that was great for me. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna grow my hair back. And I was still, you know, using products, other people products to grow my hair because I was on a mission to grow my hair up by the time we get out of COVID. You know, 
that's just my thinking, right? Yeah. Nobody, nobody has to know I got a Caesar cut. You know, I'm good. I never made an announcement. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't. Mm -hmm. But once, um, you know, we had to do like Zoom calls. And I mean, there were moments when I was meeting up with friends, you know, they embraced it. They liked it. And it just became comfortable because it was something I could do. I had to do. I wasn't going to stay locked up. Right. So I, I had to come to terms with it. I had to come to terms with the fact that my hair is my hair. Um, it's not going to be like this forever. And, and one thing that always stuck with me, um, hair can always grow back. Right. In most instances, most cases, hair can always grow back. Worst case scenario, your hair is short for a couple months. That's not a big deal. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and like I said, mentally, I've never had cuts like that. So me having to be forced to get a cut like that under those circumstances mm -hmm. of stress and going bald, absolutely, it was a different type of um, <laughs> level that I was dealing with, layer, I should say. Very much, very much so. Who were your biggest supports when you were feeling the most self-conscious? My mom, my mom, my mom was there through the entire journey and she was the one that um she encouraged it you know and she was the one that was there to be with me when I was going through my postpartum going through my transition going through my depression going through my hair loss so definitely my mom she gets credit for that shout out to mama yes <laughs> have you ever helped anyone else go through a natural transition no I have not um but if if you um would consider Luscious Kids helping other people, then yes, I would say once Luscious Kids start, um, that became um, the driving force of helping other moms like myself, as well as help them helping their children and um, help um, promoting more positive experiences with hair care mm -hmm. um, in the natural hair community. That is how I feel I contribute in um, passing it and paying it forward. Yes. Anytime that you can make a child's experience improved, like around natural hair and around getting their hair done and having products that are for them, made for them, that their hair responds to are natural. Those are great steps. Like those are experiences that we often didn't have you know we were like okay our scalps can't breathe with our blue grease I love our blue grease it still is a whole you know place in my heart but um there were a lot of things that may not have been the best memories um right. and so I'm glad that we are re we're trying to find a way to reform these memories for kids yeah tell me what is your do you have a special technique or special anything that you do with your with your child, your children to kind of take care of their hair or make it a special event or time for you and them? So, so my son is 13 years old and my daughter is three with my 13 year old. He is desiring to grow his hair out. So, you know, I teach him and let him know, um, you got to take care of the hair, right? So I make sure that he watches me when I'm doing my hair. He's watching me when I'm doing my daughter's hair. And I'm teaching him how to care for his own hair so he doesn't need anyone else, whether it be a barber or a salon when he grows his hair out to have them take care of it. Yeah, they can mm -hmm. style it, you know, 
whatever style you want to. But at the end of the day, you are responsible of being able to take out your, take care of your own hair, especially if you want to grow it out. So spent bonding time with my son is showing him, you know, the products. This is what you use. This is what it's for. And even though it's like information overload for him, he, he understands what his hair needs, what he needs to do based on discussions he's had with mom. So I'm glad for that with my daughter. Um, I mean, the whole idea is for me to do her hair at, do her hair at night, have it, you know, the bonnet or tied down and we're good in the morning. That's not the case. We end up doing her hair every morning. <laughs> so every morning <laughs> we, we do this ritual. We stand in the mirror. You're beautiful right? You're, you're pretty, you're smart, right? You're intelligent. And I'm brushing her hair and she's saying, and, um, the, the point of the exercise is for her to see herself while she's saying it. And my, and, and, and what does she remember? And I'm trying to implant those seeds. So of remembrance. So further down, she remembers when I was saying those affirmations, mom was brushing my hair, doing my hair. Hair was always involved when I was confessing that, you know? So the, that's our ritual. That's our moment. And we do that daily. Cause like I said, I can never get her hair to stay. Mm -hmm. So that is exactly what we do. I always do her hair when she's looking in the mirror and we're speaking, speaking to ourselves and speaking things into existence. Oh, I love it. Love it. Can you tell me about your best hair day that you've ever had? My best hair day for me is when my hair is freshly done. There is nothing like a freshly done hairstyle because nothing is out of place. And that is that is what I love the most. So that is when you leave the salon or you've done it yourself and you step out, that feeling is is amazing for me. So that, that extra, is, that straight part was like that, everything. Yep. <laughs> Remember, right? Yeah. Sharp like a razor. <laughs> I love it. What do you want to tell others who are contemplating um, starting their transition? Patience. Patience. Um, have a strategy because you can't just jump into it. Right. So um, personally, for me, when I was forced to get my hair cut, I jumped into it. And I would recommend educate yourself, educate yourself on the natural hair, natural hair journey, what you need, know your hair porosity. Are you high porosity? Are you low porosity? Learn your curl pattern because a lot of a good thing doesn't necessarily mean it's great for you, right? You need, just because a product is good doesn't mean it's for you. You need to find what your, your hair needs right so for example if your hair is always dry and it sucks up water easily you're high porosity that means that you need a lot of moisture thicker creams right but if your hair is low porosity and and it it's a, has a hard time of product saturating your hair it just sits on the hair that's low porosity stay away from the heavy creams you don't need that and a lot of times i'm learning through luscious kids talking to moms they don't know their hair their um their child's hair type so they're just putting any and everything and then nothing's working doesn't take away from the product the product is good right yeah. but it's being used it's not being used properly and i think education is key when entering this journey you have to understand the ingredients to put it in what exactly do you want to get out of this right mm -hmm more moisture, more hair growth, obviously, more softness, right? Tangle-free hair, certain things. So feed your hair what it needs. And the first step to that is education, learn. Mm -hmm. Google Google is university right now. 
anything and everything is just a couple of clicks away. I have been talking with people about my journey. I have seborrheic dermatitis on my scalp. And so I get these very flaky, scaly patches. So essentially it's the reason why people would like scratch their scalp before they, you know, wash their hair. And it is something that's difficult. It gets worse with stress. So <laughs> when I, when it flared up the worst, I was in between moving from Atlanta to Delaware and trying to graduate my doctoral program and finish this, dissert this dissertation on a natural hair experience. And I'm like, she's like, you should really calm down and like relieve some stress. I'm like, I, I wish I could. <laughs> But what I just realized, speaking of learning and understanding your hair, I just learned that if I use steam prior to showering my or shampooing my hair, I am able to lift up a lot of the buildup, a lot of the scales so that when I get in the shower and I use those special products that are for that dermatitis, it actually works as opposed to sitting on top and never getting to those hair follicles that need it. And I was like, after I was done, I was like, my pores, my like my skin scalp was just open. I'm like, this is great. I think I done found something. I didn't find it wasn't the key to everything, but it was something. It was another form of learning. Like, no, in order for you to moisturize your hair, your scalp has to be open and it has to be warm. And then you can apply stuff. You can't just cold scalp apply grease to your hair it's gonna yeah. clog your pores and keep you move, like you're just gonna lose more hair so these are like epiphanies but they are so liberating when you find out and I'm so excited when I find out like oh my goodness I found this out this is great that's it the education so that one task now that you put before your regimen changed the entire outcome exactly changed the entire outcome yes, yes. I agree education well, thank you so much for joining me on Deeply Rooted with Dr. Kratisa. Is there anything that you want to say that I did not ask you about or anything that you want to say to the natural hair community? I just want them to know that um, natural hair is definitely not just a movement. It's who we are. Right. And at the end of the day, um, embracing who we are, no matter our hair texture, our curl pattern and, and loving who we are, loving um us loving who you are and just really owning your hairstyle. Don't let the hair rock you. You rock the hair. Thank you so much, Sherlyn, for joining me on the show. Um, you spoke on a very vulnerable topic and a very like central topic to me and my mission, which is Black women, high-functioning depression, and essentially you out here taking care of the world. So like black women are the fastest growing demographic of entrepreneurs in the U.S. with nearly 2.0 million businesses nationwide. Like let that sink in. But even though their growing presence in the business world is being seen, these women face disproportionate financial setbacks. So high rates of Black female entrepreneurs may also reflect the lack of opportunity in the traditional workforce, because many of us start businesses to survive rather than pursuing market opportunities. But the tides are turning, things are changing, and we are already, as Black women, 
being more authentic. We're supportive of therapy. We are finally trying to put down those bags that Ms. Badu talked about. Um, but there is a ton of new research and innovation happening in mental health care. However, common symptoms of high-functioning depression in Black women are regularly overlooked or misunderstood. Also, with little access to safe mental health care, prayer and church, shopping, drugs, and overeating have become the most common forms of self-medicating. So when we think of depression, most people think of like a lack of motivation, they think of sadness, uh, tearfulness, but in Black women, uh, if we can create whole companies, raise successful children, and contribute to the advancement of themselves, but also their Black community, all while still being depressed. We are all aware of the angry Black woman stereotype. But what most people don't realize is that the symptoms of anxiety and depression tend to show up differently in Black women, which can make it look like we're always upset. Symptoms are different. So symptoms such as irritability, physical symptoms such as aches and pains or changes in your appetite, this idea of perfectionism. Uh, sometimes people call it an imposter syndrome, but research has shown that medical care providers tend to miss symptoms in Black women, which leave them undiagnosed, undertreated, and continuously stigmatized for having the same mental health concerns with which we give so much compassion and grace to other people. So if you don't understand Black culture and you don't understand the person that you're looking at and Black people, it is very, very easy to miss these symptoms. It's easy to look at a Black woman and say, oh, she's just really angry. But under anger, like the core of anger is unfair. It's something is unfair. And you're like, this is absolutely crazy. Like, I, I mean, I could understand it if it was reasonable. But anger is about unfairness. So like, ask yourself, what is that? Black women feel like they are not being treated fairly. I feel like that's a reasonably accurate statement. And so it's not coming out of nowhere. These are not things that are being made up by us. Um, however, these are the things that we have to deal with and the barriers that we have to deal with on the road to self-care and effective quality of life. So if you don't understand Black trauma and you don't understand Black people, you could miss these symptoms or misinterpret them. But we try, the psychology field does try to create programs that have more diverse literature and learning opportunities. But let's just say that majority of doctoral programs and majority of those training programs kind of put diversity towards the end of every single class of your training. It's like, get that blast. We have to fill this quota of discussing this thing. But the most important thing, regardless of what training programs are out there now, what literature, whatever, what will the state of mental health care be when the Black community reaches for it? What will be there? And the same thing that made me start the podcast and uh, just kind of have this mission was me feeling like after summer 2022 of sitting in the house and watching everything happen on the TV, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and everybody, I could feel the collective reach. Like 
regardless of whether people wanted to say it or not, I could feel the pain and I could feel the fact that they may actually reach out now. We are in a place with mental health in the Black community where everybody is making it welcome, we are destigmatizing it. And I had the idea of, I saw the vision of the community reaching out. And I did not like what I saw as like what would serve them. And so that's why I'm here. And so definitely make sure that you find a provider that works for you. I'm not saying that anybody who is not black won't get it, but if you know that you are a human being and you can't at least stop at the level and say, I could possibly have some kind of bias, even if it turns out that you don't. But if you can't even acknowledge that there's a possibility that there's any kind of bias at that moment, you should just let that go. Because then you're in a situation where you don't know what you don't know. And so why put yourself in a situation where you could be really validating the person in front of you, but if you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what you're reading, uh, you know, not verbally, you're to misunderstand this person. And this could be the one time that they reached out for therapy. So make sure that you advocate for yourself. People who are in the mental health field, please do what you can to increase your understanding and your education of healthcare and how that changes and what kinds of things you need to be mindful of if you're going to work with people of color. I want you all to remember that this is all easier said than done and change is very hard. So be nice to yourself. Thank you for tuning in to Deeply Rooted with Dr. Kratisa. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to share and support the podcast, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and share the show with family and friends. And remember, on wash day, don't just wash your hair. Check your soul. This is brought to you by Alive Podcast Network. <laughs>